Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Chris Smith, principal at The Co-Team. Today's show follows a special format where I swap roles with Ron Callis, the usual host of Automation Unplugged. Ron is the CEO at One Firefly, and today we place him in the hot seat. We originally planned to produce this show last spring, but due to COVID and the general craziness of 2020, here we are today. Ron got his start in the custom integration industry back in 2000 after graduating from Virginia Tech with a degree in mechanical engineering and starting his career with Lutron Electronics. He also spent time at Crestron Electronics before he started Firefly Design Group in 2007. In 2012, the company rebranded and became the company everyone knows today as One Firefly. One Firefly is an Inc. 5000 company and award-winning marketing agency serving residential and commercial technology professionals. We live streamed this interview on the One Firefly Facebook page on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021 at 1230 Eastern. In this conversation, we discussed how Ron found his way into the custom integration industry. Ron's unique experience being part of a human powered submarine team while a student at Virginia Tech. The one Firefly company culture and how they were able to shift to a fully remote company in 2016. And ways the structure and process of EOS helped one Firefly prepare for the challenges that came with COVID-19. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's jump into my interview with Ron Callis. Hey, Chris, how are you, buddy? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, man, thanks for for us, uh, I guess, trying out this this fun experiment. And I, I couldn't think of a better person than you. So thanks for coming on and, and hosting. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, we'll be taking your comments live from Facebook. If there's something that you'd like to ask, feel free along the way. If there's questions you'd like to pepper Ron with, let me know. Uh, I also asked Ron's employees to send me their list of questions. Um, so face, uh, one firefly employees, if you are on Facebook, go ahead and let us know what your questions are. Um, fear not you, you have no reciprocity issues or retribution issues. Uh, uh th- this should be interesting. Uh, Allison Rosa, who's an employee, says our fearless leader pumped for the show. Thanks, Allison. I really appreciate it. Uh, So we're going to dive right in. I mentioned kind of in the lead in here that I have an immense amount of respect for Ron. Um, What you may know about his business may be a single portion of what you know about him today, but his history in this industry is quite long and very multifaceted. Uh, the other aspect that most people may not know about Ron is how truly passionate he is about the culture of his business at One Firefly and the use of how he has technology and people blended together to help facilitate that culture. And I hope we pull that out of today's show. So if you have questions along the way on those topics, please let us know and we'll be happy to read them and throw them up onto the show. Ron, you ready to get started? Man, I am at your disposal and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here and uh, let's have some fun. Excellent. Well, the first thing I need to tell you is you didn't make me rich, but you definitely made me some money. Uh, I made a 50% return on uh, investing in Coinbase, which is a crypto app. So first I have to say thank you. 
but I wanted to ask, how did you really get started in crypto and, and what do you think is going on these days? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going uh, right at one of my, my favorite hobbies. And, uh, you know, back in the mania of 2017, and if there's anyone here that, uh, uh, you know, follows cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that jazz, they'll know that there was a bit of hysteria in 2017. And I had been, I had a bunch of friends in my orbit that had been telling me about it since maybe 2012 or 2013. And oh my goodness, I wish I had listened to them then. I would be a, a very, very, very wealthy individual. Um, but I didn't. I resisted and I thought it was a bunch of hocus pocus and weird, you know, weird stuff. But I, I finally bit into it, into the Apple in uh, the, what was that, around Thanksgiving of 2017. And, uh, and I, I, you know, of course it went up big and then it flopped. Um, and I, but I was hooked on the science of it, the, the economics, the macroeconomics, the economic theory of what Bitcoin stood for. And so I've just picked it up as a hobby. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I read a bunch of content. I, I, by the way, I never figured out really what Twitter would mean for me in my life until I figured that there's this whole crypto universe on Twitter of thought leaders that share ideas. So I'm an active Twitter user or voyeur, I guess you could say, but I only really follow Twitter or crypto stuff. And uh, I just, I, I believe that there's something to it. And I know a bunch of people look at me funny and sideways and they think I'm a wacko because of it. But, uh, you know, I've, I'm not a trader. I don't trade stocks. I don't trade crypto. I just dollar cost average in really meager amounts. I tell you what, those meager amounts have uh, done pretty well. And uh, for the few folks that have listened, not to my advice, because I don't give any financial advice ever, but they have listened maybe to some of the passion I have around it. Uh, there, there's plenty of folks that have made some, some dollars along the way, including some of my, my, some of my staff on occasion ask me about it. I'm very mindful to not push my, my, my hobbies on anyone. But uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting. And I think anyone listening owes it to themselves to pay attention to blockchain technology, to particular Bitcoin, to Ethereum, because uh, I think that it's going to become more and more a part of our life and our economy. It's really the digitization of money and currencies, uh, the digitization and tokenization of assets globally. Everything, I believe, will be on the blockchain. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's neat. It's you know a bit science fiction, but uh, uh, it's it's it seems to be more and more true every day. I'm glad you made a little money. It it is very real, and it was more than a little money. So thank you. And by the way, it didn't start out as as making money. It actually dipped way down. I think it might have dropped something like seventy percent when I threw some cash into it. So um, I, I rode that wave, and like you did, I bought down as it happened. And I thought it was just a fantastic thing to sit down and say, yeah, if you believe in it, give it a shot having to be a little bit of play money and away you go. So, and it was really fun. I really like the, uh, the app. It's, it's great. Uh, moving on from here, you know, when you were a little kid, where did you grow up? What, what was hometown USA for you? Yeah, sure. I am from Southeast Virginia, often called Hampton roads. Uh, it is, um, you know, I, I grew up there. I, I went to college in Virginia. 
And, uh, you know, my whole universe uh, before I graduated was in Virginia. I did very little traveling out of the state. And, um, you know, it's funny. I remember as a kid, I always thought one day I'm going to go to Disney World. And here I am. I live in Florida now and I got Disney World (laughs) down the street and I really have no desire to go. I know some of my staff are big Disney fans and they're like, no, he didn't just say that. No, the, the idea of it might be better than the reality of it. I think the idea as a child, uh, for me, was a little better than, than than some of the reality. Although the Star Wars park at Universal or at the... Uh, um, Universal Studios? That, no, I'm trying to think. Where, oh, goodness. Someone help me out. Someone that's watching. Where's the Star Uh-oh. Wars stuff? That's 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 pretty cool stuff. I love the, the Star Wars park. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in Southeast Virginia. I went to Virginia Tech, uh, studied mechanical engineering. And, uh, you know, and, and I was interviewing out of college with, you know, uh, you know, your, your oil, I remember Halliburton was an interview that I had. And then I was interviewing with like Boeing and Lockheed for aerospace jobs. And I was interviewing and then I had a buddy who wanted to, he was, he was, uh, from Taiwan and he wanted to be able to go back to Taiwan and he heard, we, we drove to Washington DC for a college fair. And he heard of a company called Lutron that was hiring for positions in Taiwan. And so he said, will you go to this DC fair with me to, to interview? And I was like, yeah, let's go party in DC. Sure. Let's go. That'll be fun. And we'll stop by the fair. And so I, I went to the career fair and I stood in line with him at Lutron. I had no idea who or what Lutron was. Zero idea. But I stood in line with him to keep him company. And I got interviewed and uh, I went right after him. And uh, I was so fascinated by the interview process and the in-depthness of the interview process that, funny enough, I got the offer to work at Lutron and he didn't. And oh, it's wow. it's that random chance of fate that I landed in the custom integration industry. So, you know, you might not have known who Lutron was at the time, and they're obviously a very technically oriented company, but you were technical long before that interview. I mean, you were, and I use this in a supportive and, in, and loving way, you were a nerd growing up. You were a nerd in high school and you were a nerd in college. Yeah. Tell me about some of the stuff you were doing as a nerd in high school. Yeah, I was like a I was like a mean nerd. I was a mean nerd only in that I I was the nerd no one messed with. Um, so I I was the science fair kid. Uh, you know, so middle school through high school, I I I grew up, I just loved science and engineering. I just I I think that way. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm very methodical and or precise, and I just love science. Uh, the passion for science and learning. Um, but when I was a youth, you know, I want to say in ninth grade, I was selected by my science teacher. Uh, he had heard of a NASA um, internship for high, high school students, and they could make a nomination for one student to go to the, to the science program at NASA, which in Southeast Virginia is in the city of Hampton. So it was about you know 20 miles from where I went to school. And I, I applied to the internship and I got accepted. And so all four years of high school, I actually interned at NASA and I, I was, and I went from, you know, from NASA into college and actually worked for an aerospace R&D company as well. So I had eight years of aerospace experience 
Uh, but I, along the way, I loved to compete in high school and science fairs. And because of my internship, I was able, knowing some influential people that I was able to meet along the way, I used to cut the grass and pull the weeds for a leading, what I did not know, but was the head of army research at NASA Langley. And this individual, uh, his name was Wolf Elber. If you look him up, he's actually a very well-known research scientist uh, in the army and at NASA. And he pointed me in some directions and he helped me meet at NASA, the head of research, the lead research scientist for NASA. His name is Dennis Bushnell. You guys can Google that. Dennis Bushnell used to invite me, the, the ninth grade and 10th grade and 11th grade science kid, into his office. And he's like total NASA guy from the 60s, polyester shirt and pants, <laughs> pocket protector, slide rule, pens, horn-rimmed glasses. And no, I am not that old. So this would have been in the, the, the early 90s. And he and I would talk about science. And he taught me that you have to make science sexy if you're going to sell it. He's like, Ron, good science isn't enough. You have to sell it to the people that buy it or are going to fund you. And he was teaching me from his role of trying to sell earth and space science to legislators and in politics of how to get people to, to fund it. Well, he's, he helped teach me how to sell my science projects to my judges so that I could not all, I think my science was pretty good. It was neat. My ability to explain my science to the judges was best in class. One of my favorite statements I ever heard about marketing was from a CEO at a software company. And he said, marketing isn't about telling people who you are or what you do. It's about telling them who you want them to think you are. And effectively, your very first lesson in marketing was about your science projects from a NASA engineer. And then you ended up with a marketing company. It, coincidental? It's, you know what? I never would have saw it coming. When I was a high school student, I joined an association called DECA, D-E-C-A. Uh, I didn't even know what DECA was. I sound rather uninformed, but I had a teacher, a coach mentor take me under his wing and he said, you need to go into this class. And so I, I did the class and I ended up um, competing, again, that competition element. And we went to the state competition in Virginia for me as a junior and I was partnered with a senior student. Uh, her name was Karen Hardman and she and I went and we won the state marketing competition. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it was just, we had to invent, we had to design a marketing plan for a new restaurant concept. And it was my first exposure to like true marketing and what it was. It was, I still, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I still went down that path of engineering, went to college and, uh, and ended up, I just had this hunger, this burning desire to compete. Yeah. My ability to compete and problem solve is star, far stronger than my pure academic capabilities. Like I'm an okay student, but I can compete with the best of them. I, I'm going to talk to you about that competition in just a minute. I want to take a moment to say thanks to everybody for all the comments that are flowing in. 
just a quick read through. I mean, you got Seth D. Benedictus at the top, who's over at Savant, Sean Schitz over at AudioQuest, Paul Bachner, a buddy and integrator friend over in New Jersey from Electronic Concepts. Uh, we got a whole bunch of people from One Firefly chiming in, um, you know, Wes and McKinsey and others, right? Just great people showing up to say hello and, and appreciative that you're here uh, on the other side of this seat. So uh, you deserve that opportunity to to get some kudos for that. Um, so let's go back to your competition conversation. So you told me the story about being in college and competing in this project uh, for a self-powered submarine. And, and the irony of you went to school in Virginia, which for those that don't know where his college was, is landlocked. So there is not an ocean in the mountains. In the, <laughs> so he's got this submarine in a pool. Anyways, Ron, why don't you tell us about what this was like and how that process went? I thought it was just great from a nerd perspective. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, engineering schools. So most of your, your engine, you know, your, your, you know, I want to say better, maybe all engineering schools, a characteristic of an engineering university is often there'll be competitive teams. So there'll be your Baja race car dune buggy team. There'll be your airplane team designing an airplane to carry, say, some payload, or you'll be their autonomous helicopter team where a helicopter has to autonomously go and do stuff. And I came across, uh, and this would have been in maybe 96, 1996, when I, when I, my freshman year, uh, I would have come across um, what was the human-powered submarine team. And I thought, what a curious idea that this school in the mountains would have a, a submarine team. And I went to the meeting, you know, and I'm this young, hung, you know, gung-ho kid coming out of college, you know, thinking I was hot, coming, coming out of high school, thinking I was hot stuff, very quickly learning. I, in high school, I was a big fish in a small pond. Well, you go to engineering school, I was a tiny speck of a, a fish in a very big pond of sharks. Some fantastically intelligent people with and fantastically better levels of education than I had received that I would now were, that were now my peers. And I, I found the submarine team and they had never actually made a boat that moved. Like they had never moved in a competition, much less tried to compete and win. And I was like, well, that's my team. Cause I think I can join that team. And I think I can, I know nothing about submarines. But I know a little bit about fluid mechanics. I know a little bit about, you know, doing what it takes to win. And I said, I think I could have an influence. And I joined a boat, it. A boat that moves, by the way. I think it's great that you actually wanted to build a boat that sinks. I think it's fantastic that that was your engineering challenge was it doesn't need to stay afloat. We got to get it underneath. It doesn't even need to stay afloat. It can sink to the bottom. But as long as it moves, like we, we're making progress. And uh, a very long story, very short, um, is that, you know, my, my freshman year, we made the boat move. I was the engine, the human engine inside of the boat. I didn't design it. It was designed by the, the, the upperclassmen before me. But I wanted to win. And I learned of the best team in the world, which is a Canadian team out of an engineering school in Canada. So I studied them. I learned everything that I could learn about them. I interviewed people around the country that knew them and had observed them in competition. And I took six months, I took a six month hiatus from classes and I 
I went into a process of designing what I thought would be the world championship boat. And I did all the fluid uh, mechanical design, fluid mechanics design, designed the team structure that I thought that I would need to be able to design and build this. I went and designed the fundraising that I would, because we had no money, because we never built a boat that moved. But I needed money and I needed supplies. So I, I contact, I came up with a list of fiberglass supplies, resin supplies, money, mechanical donations, propeller. And I, I assembled this list. And then I spent the next two years assembling a team. And uh, my junior and senior year, I became the team captain of the effort. And our senior year, uh, we went to the world championship and we won. And uh, and I, I think I, 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 I wanted to share a picture of that. Let me see if I can find it. And we won. And so this is actually a picture of me. Uh, this is the submarine. This was me jumping in the boat. Uh, the kid that was actually the engine, because I was not of mine to where I needed to be the team captain and in the boat. I wanted to empower the younger, stronger kids on the team to do that, which were better empowered. But that water behind me, that was at the Carter Rock Naval Submarine Warfare Center. That water was like 55 degrees. And our kid, our our engine in, our, in the submarine had been in the water so long, he had gotten hypothermia. And they pulled him out and we only had one minute left of race time and we had to put in a winning time or we were defaulted out of the competition. And so this is me throwing on the harness to tie myself in. I just, actually, this was afterwards, but I, I jumped in the pool, climbed in the boat, underwater, mounted the, the oxygen, raced, and we put in the winning time for the event. And the team ended up winning uh, Virginia Tech one. But what was more impressive than winning was that we, we ended up our team, our presentations, our safety officer, we won every award available at the competition. And that was it's just- a fantastic it, story. It's so cool. It was fun. And you know what? We started a tradition of winning. Virginia Tech became known for winning submarine competitions thereafter. And I went in 2012, you know, my son was four years old and I, my wife and I were gonna go and watch a Virginia Tech football game. And I took them by the submarine lab and all of this hardware you see there is up on the wall with pictures of the 2000 race and the wall is full of winning hardware. And they've won competition after competition after competition because winning is a habit. You have to learn to think like a winner. And they thought they think like winners. And now they're they're known for putting up really solid teams, which is pretty cool. And uh, quote Sean Schutz from the comments here, nerds will rule the world, at least from underwater in a submarine powered by humans. So. Amen, Sean. I, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So you didn't always have one firefly as a business. You told us when you sat down to interview with Lutron and obviously went far with that process. So, you know, engineering was always in your blood. So talk to us about kind of your trajectory, your, your arc in the professional world of Lutron and Crestron and the other places you've been and how you ended up to where you are today. Yeah, a uh, little bit of ground to cover there. It's 20 years. I'll try to make it really brief and succinct that I'll let you as, jump in. As my as my father said, how about the two-minute version? 
How about the two? Amen. I, I like that. You know, I went to, I joined Lutron. I was super impressed with their process and hiring and their focus on people. I would say that a lot of what I learned at One Firefly took me a little while, but to focus on talent and people, I got a really nice immediate observation of that in my joining the, the Lutron team. And the head of HR, I want to say she's a senior executive there now, Kathy Leslie. And the process she took me through just blew me away. And so I joined, I was offered to join them in their engineering department or sales. I said, which one makes more money? She said, sales ultimately, but engineering short term. I said, well, I want the long term. So I'll go down the sales route. And uh, I did that. I, I lasted for, I say I lasted, I, I left, I, I went to Crestron. I, I wanted a little bit more of, a, a, in my mind, I wanted to eat more of what I killed. Uh, and, and this is sales speak for those non-sales people. Uh, maybe you don't know what I'm saying, but I, if I put wins on the board, I wanted to know that I would reap the benefits of that. And, and Crestron at, at that time, I have no idea any of their comp plans now, but you know, 17 years ago, that that was Crestron gave me a better opportunity to do that. And I grew through the ranks there. And then ultimately in 07, you know, I had this fire in my belly um, around entrepreneurship, which we could go more into, but that led to me leaving Crestron and starting what was called Firefly Design Group. And that has evolved into today what is known as One Firefly and the marketing agency the industry knows. So prior to that evolution. What was the purpose of Firefly Design Group? Yeah, I observed, you know, and, and when I was at Lutron, I covered, I lived in Minneapolis and I covered nine states in the Midwest. And at Crestron, I lived in South Florida or I lived in Orlando and then South Florida. And I covered Florida and the Caribbean and, um, and had a few other roles, but primarily. And so I worked with all of these integrators, right? So my entire 20-year career has been with integrators. And what I observed was that they were winning these, these really neat projects, doing these very complicated integrate, integrated systems, but so many of them had poor, little to poor documentation. And so I theorized. Many still do, by the way. Well, I, I, I know, I know. And uh, I, I theorized that there was a, an opportunity in the marketplace to, to open up an engineering business to pro provide proposal design or project documentation to help them better present their, their science, their, their projects to their clients, and or to perform those projects in a more profitable, efficient manner. I knew that they needed that. But I, and I joked, I've joked with you in the past when we've talked about this, I did not do any research to actually determine whether they would pay for that and if they would pay what they would pay. And it's better that I didn't do that research, perhaps, because maybe I never would have started Firefly Design Group because I cashed out my retirement. I quit my job. I've got a rent office. I hired two employees before I ever asked any integrator if they were willing to pay for the stuff that I was about to start producing. Let, let's go through all the analogs. You burned the boats, you jumped <laughs> without the parachute, right? 
<laughs> and you sat down and you said, we're going to win no matter what. And you came up with a solution to a problem no one asked for. Yes. You're <laughs> genius. Clearly, I know. Yeah, it was Yeah, not not my brightest moment for sure. But in the positive side, it wasn't the only thing that you were doing. Your business was multifaceted. So you had mentioned kind of all of the things that was happening as a function. And so you started to diversify, whether it was the right move or not, you had started to diversify your business at that time. You know, I was in my youth, in addition to science and being that science nerd, I was a wrestler and I was a runner. So I, I ran cross country and I, you know, if you run cross country or you run, you know what it is to take pain. And if you're a wrestler, you know what it is to stand in solidarity on that mat facing your enemy and know that one of you is going down. And no one can help you. And so when I entered into business, I was of the opinion that I was definitely not the smartest, definitely not uh, the most knowledgeable, definitely not the most experienced. But I would challenge that I could be the toughest. I could persevere and pivot as necessary to find success. And there were many, many, many occasions over the last, you know, going on 13, 14 years now to where I could have quit. And I don't think anyone would have judged me any worse, you know, it, it, because business is fantastically hard, particularly to scale a business profitably. It's fantastically hard. It's one of the harder things I think people could try to do. And I very quickly learned in that engineering business that I needed to help my customer better present themselves in the eyes of the consumer or the architect or the designer and the guys that they would be perceived as more of a designer and a, a systems architect than purely uh, the, the, the technology contractor slash plumber that puts in technology and pulls wires through attics. I needed to help to change their image. So I hired a graphic designer. So I reached out to an old high school buddy, John Baskerville, who I learned was building websites and he had his own marketing company. And I said, John, we need to build websites for integrators. I got the graphic designer and I said, we need to start like actually helping our integrators have business cards and brochures and presentation books so that they can go to the meetings all to justify this line item. I needed them to charge on their proposals called engineering. <laughs> because if they could not charge that line item called engineering, my business called Firefly Design Group could not exist. And I backed into marketing. One of the, in, you know, and I did a friends and family round when I started as well. And I remember very vividly uh, the guys at Think Simple, they're a fantastic integrator out of the Bahamas and Florida. They gave me $5,000 when I started the business. And later on, after I had paid them back, um, they had told me, Ron, we thought you were starting a marketing company. We never would have given you money for an engineering company. Marketing is what you're good at. And I mean, this was years later, they told me this. And it, it took us a while, but marketing was the little engine that could. It was popular. It was in demand. It was fun to hire. It was fun to do. It was scalable. We did it better than most other people. Rarely would my customer ever tell me they would do it better than us. 
All of those things, by the way, were the clear opposite for our engineering business. It's interesting on the marketing side, it's, it, we always called it the blink test. And this idea that you could look at two things, this website versus that website, and, and you knew which one was easily more acceptable and for you. Um, and I think it wouldn't be shocking for most integrators to acknowledge that they know that their marketing baby is ugly, right? That, that they need that help, that they need some assistance in that way. So I think you ended up in the right place. I want to take a quick break and, and just acknowledge everybody else who's popped in and, and chimed in with additional comments. Uh, ben Rosner um, over at eHome saying hello. Uh, you've got some other folks, um, Tina and Brandy and others, Allison again. Um, they've posted up some good questions and we'll actually get to those in a little bit. I want to shift gears and talk actually about some of your one Firefly people, uh, specifically the culture of your business. And I want to hit on it in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, your business was set up to be remote pre-COVID. It was by design how it was engineered to be working and functioning before COVID was ever a concern. And some of those tools that you use today to be effective in maintaining your connections and culture are things like Slack. You know, how did you get involved in, in wanting to have a business that was decentralized? And how'd you come to your, your toolkit to be able to do that? Yeah, uh, in 2015, it was a pivotal year for us because, uh, and maybe we maybe we'll do that on a future show to kind of talk about some of the decision making that led to ultimately closing the engineering business, closing the programming business, closing all the distractions, and squarely focusing on marketing. But that decision happened in uh, the fall, late summer and fall of 2015. And it was at that time that we decided to close the office because I had an office in South Florida, close the office in terms of people being hired to work and go to the office every day. I had gone to the office every day since uh, November 2007 through September 2015. I had physically, I would leave my house, I would go to the office and sit in that office. My people, and I think about Kendall, who's been with us for six years, she would drive from Palm Beach an hour to go sit in that office and be behind the keyboard and then get in her car and drive an hour home. And meanwhile, none of our customers would go to the office. Our customers were all over the country. And so it just started feeling not right. And so ultimately we made that pivot and we spent, we had the very nice fortune over the last five years of building out a, a robust software environment, software stack that enables us to very effectively operate virtually. You know, from a robust project management software and a solution called Workfront. Previously, it was at Task. They they changed their name after they were purchased. Uh, to in 2011, finding a piece of software uh, called Basecamp and uh, using that for client communication. Uh, you, Chris, get the credit through Azione, and you, you were on. You and I were on the board together. Uh, you uh, mentioned this thing called Slack, which was entirely foreign to me. But my God, I can't imagine. I'm over here looking at my Slack dashboard. I can't imagine my business. I mean, I've got 52 employees. I can't imagine the number of emails that would be happening inefficiently 
if we didn't have Slack channels for every client and for individual communication and every combination of people therein. I mean, our company sends around between 10 to 15,000 Slack messages a week. Right? 10 to 15,000 that would be happening through email or not at all if it weren't for Slack. I tell people today after having been on that platform for a while, at first when I tried it at a previous company, I was not a fan. Um, I didn't get it. I didn't really understand it. And then when I really delved deep into it, when I was at Cloud9 Smart, I, I became so accustomed to it and understood the value that I went. I, I could never ever be a part of a company that didn't run on this platform. It's that good. It's fascinating. I can't imagine one fire. I don't want to imagine one Firefly without Slack or something as good or better. Yeah. Because it's of the, states. it makes us a better company. Um, we did something and you talked about culture and I'll, I'll go deeper into that if you like. I'll let you direct. But there's a, a plug-in to Slack we use called Motivosity. So earlier in 2020, we had uh, uh, put a, a focus on redefining and really promoting our core values. And we've defined those core values. And we needed, I wanted, I desired a way to better incentivize our team to think around our core values, acknowledge each other for our core values. And that led to a piece of discovering a piece of software called Motivosity. So, and then Motivosity plugs directly into Slack. So our team all day long, we have a Slack channel. Um, I'm looking at it. It's called Core Value Kudos. And our team acknowledges each other for demonstrating core values and they can give each other a core value kudo. And they actually, and we fund it as a company. We, we give every employee a whopping $3 a month <laughs> in a core value kudo uh, bucket. And they can give a core value kudo worth $1 to any member of the team if they demonstrate any of our five core values. And then, you know, you can let those money value leader at this moment who has the most kudos. You know what? We just announced the Firefly of the month. We starting that here in 2021 and we just awarded our first in January and we had a four way tie. Wow. The most core. And I'm, I don't I don't want to say who they were because I may miss someone. That's fine. Um, uh but I, I'm remembering, right, so someone from my team, help me drop it into the comment channel. Uh, I don't want to miss, well, I'm, I'm remembering three, but there may be a four, I think there's a fourth and I don't want to mention it. But While they're busy doing that, Tina Baker chimed in uh, from your team and said, remember that day in January when Slack was down for an hour or two and we were all lost, it was terrible. I felt the same way, Slack went down and I'm clacking at my keyboard like a Neanderthal going, how do I work? <laughs> oh, it's it's so crazy. But I can tell you this. We were very fortunate at one Firefly when COVID hit and we were all scared. I mean, everyone in the world was scared, particularly business owners or operators or employees or whatever, because we didn't know what, what was going to happen. And one thing we did not have to be fearful of at one Firefly was what it would be like and how we would function as a virtual workforce. Mm. We were already there. Prime We've been doing it for five years. So Tina chimed in, by the way, Jordan L, Sarah, Tim, and Cameron were the four-way tie. So congrats to those four. I think that's fantastic. That's 
almost a 50 or sorry, I almost say a, a 10% of your employee tie in terms of core value kudos. So I can't wait to see what happens in, uh, in month two. So your world isn't just around software though. Your world is also around process and you're a process junkie. Um, you know, I've, I've known that and love that about you for many years. Um, and one of the, the conversations that you and I share passion for is around EOS, which is a, uh, the entrepreneurial operating system, uh, originally a book by Gino Wickman called Traction. Uh, a bunch of my clients know it and know that I, I push it hard. Um, talk to me about what Traction has meant to your business and your team. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. You know, after we made that pivot in 2015, it's really, you know, 16 was our first full year of operating purely as a marketing agency. The power of that focus resulted in nice year-over-year growth. And so 16, 17, 18, 19, we were growing 30% plus year-over-year. And it was, it felt, uh, easy is the wrong word. It was anything but easy, but we felt like we, I, I knew where we were going and how we were going to get there. But as those numbers start to stack, both in, in revenue and in employees, you know, I started to look forward in where I wanted to go. And I felt a, a, a need for more structure, more structure in how to manage and work with my leadership team, more structure in how to conduct effective meetings, not just meetings for the sake of meetings, but effective meetings how to gain alignment around where we were going and how to get my leadership team on board and how to get every single member of my team on board and how to have every single member of my team understand where we're going and what their contribution could be towards that goal. And that was lacking. So I, I had been in enough different um, seminars or groups uh, to know that that was possible, but I was lacking the knowledge uh, an experience of knowing how to achieve it. And I'm always big on asking for help. I think asking people for help is a superpower that so often people forget. Uh, they Their pride gets in the way or, or I don't know, other things get in the way and they just don't ask for help. I love asking for help because there is so much genius out in the world that's exponentially greater than anything that I could hold on to. And so I went and I asked a member of my board of advisors for help. And, uh, and he pointed me back to EOS Traction. E I had been hearing rumblings of EOS for years. Uh, I want to say Mike Beam of SES Design Group out of Houston. Uh, they uh, got absorbed into the Bravis Group. But Mike, I want to say four years ago, had handed me a version of Traction and said, Ron, you should read this. This probably would be good for you. And I, it sat on my shelf. I didn't read. I was like, well, that looks really hard. I'm going to sit this on my shelf and uh, I'm going to get back to it later. Well, I finally dug into it and, and bought in hook, line and sinker uh, in the, the uh, Q3 of 2019. And I went and found what's called an implementer. And it was an implementer, someone that I had known 10 years prior in an in a entrepreneurship uh, group that I was a part of. And uh, uh, brought it to my leadership team. They said, this looks exciting. Let's do it. And so we onboarded into the process in uh, Q3 and 4 of 19. 
And I can just tell you, thank God we did because of that nine months of preparation. I felt that we were exponentially more prepared for COVID in March of 2020 than I would have been or we would have been otherwise if we didn't have a lot of that structure and process in place. Yeah, it makes great sense. You, you mentioned the implementer. Um, for those that are listening that don't know, implementers are people who help you execute traction within your business and get it started. Um, those people are trained specifically in how to do that. Um, for people that don't use implementers, the success rate's only about 20%. So four out of people, four out of five businesses fail to implement without a dedicated implementer. Um, so do you want to give a shout out to your, your implementer and and that person just so that can be tagged later? A- absolutely. Yeah. Our, in, our implementer, his name is Caesar. He's out of South Florida. He does not come from the integrator world, uh, but he has successfully grown a business. It was a food business and he successfully sold it because of EOS and this, the, the processes that were put in place. And uh, he's now growing a full agency and uh, I'll ask a member of my team to drop the website link for Caesar and, and his group into the comments. I, I've also had Caesar on Automation Unplugged. I want to say maybe uh, uh, sometime in the, I don't remember, everything blurs together, but sometime in the last year I had him on. And so you could look for that show. But uh, I'm a strong advocate that, uh, you know, if you can afford it, or even if you can't find a way to afford a coach or an implementer, um, there's a tremendous amount of value sitting in those sessions, those planning sessions and having an independent third party counsel uh, you and your leaders and take them through a process towards consensus and alignment and uh, definition of rocks and objectives. Uh, it's, it's, it's very powerful. Uh, if you can do it on your own, more power to you. I didn't feel ready to do it on my own. Uh, my my integrator, uh, which is a ter- an EOS term, I'm not talking about an AV integrator, uh, is Taylor Whipple, and he also admitted he didn't fit. We read both read the book. We read the books plural, and we're like, this seems really cool. Uh, we need a coach. It's, and- it's a challenging process. And Ron mentioned the integrator as a role. It's you can kind of think of it like the COO in a business ish. And the CEO is kind of the visionary, typically in most businesses. Um, but the idea is that not everyone is the person to execute. And some people are the idea to ideate. And you need those two parts put together to really make it go. And even in really good teams, it becomes really challenging to do that without having outside help. Uh, the team at One Firefly has posted up. It's Cesar Quintero. Uh, it was on Automation Unplugged number 99. Um, and you can find him at theprofitrecipe.com. And if you have other questions regarding EOS and other things, I'm also happy to help you in the future. So um, in in terms of thinking about your business, it has completely evolved as a business. It happens to do marketing. But when you think about the people and the processes and the software and the tools that you use, the output of that is and the, the both the output and the underlying rock of it are culture. And you did a really fantastic trip with your team where you brought them to New York. This was pre-COVID. And you brought the whole team. Um, And when you were coming to New York, you set up multiple days of activities for them, learning, diving deep into the account culture. Um, You actually asked me to come and present to your group on a topic. 
tell me about that trip. What caused it to happen? And tell me about what you did while you were here in New York. Yeah, and I'm I'm just uh, I'm, I'm dropping some of the uh, the pictures from that trip. I don't know if there's a limit here. Uh, looks like I'll 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 put those and I'll I'll pull that off. You know, we when we went virtual, this really happened in 2016. When we went virtual, we did not want to miss the benefits or we were, I was mindful of missing the human interaction component, right? So we're a camera on team. We've been a camera on team since 2015 or 2016 when we went fully virtual. So I can guess what that phrase means, but it's not part of my lexicon every day. Talk to me about what that means in practice. So so much of human communication happens non-verbally. Right. So in the way you raise your eyebrows, the facial expression, the use, way you hold your shoulders or your hands, so much of the ability to deliver a message happens through your eyes, the visual senses. Uh, so much more than happens through auditory, what you hear. And so, for example, I mean, I've been I'm putting my sales hat. When I've been selling, I've been selling with camera on for my entire career. I always, if I have an opportunity to have an interaction with a client that's in another location, my camera's always on, even if theirs would be off. Because I know that I can emote and communicate more effectively if they're watching me and watching the the signals that I'm sending. Well, the same goes through for all of your people. And so for so much of us in the world that have been now required to have our teams work remotely or see each other less often. When we do interact, you still want to have that face-to-face interaction. And so we were Zooming before Zoom was cool. We were camera on before camera on was cool. Because of just me knowing the power that happens in that communication. So if I have people on my team that were, well, you know, I don't, I'm not ready for the camera or I mean, any sort of nonsense, none of it is allowed. I'm having a bad hair day. I don't give a shit. <laughs> camera on. Yeah. Right. And the only excuse is if I'm sick. If you're sick, all right, leave the camera off. And we've had certainly some of that in the last year. But other than that, I just I want you to receive what is being delivered visually, and I want you to be able to deliver uh, through visual uh, sensory, you know, what who and what you are, what message you're trying to emote. And so it's it's it was initially maybe a little controversial, and now it's habit. Everyone knows your camera goes on if you're talking to each other, if you're talking to a customer, cameras on regardless of whether the customer turns theirs on. You go from this camera on culture to make sure that we're still connected and, you know, people first, not just a voice or words on a screen. Um, But then you still have the human element of actually connecting physically as a team. What, What caused that shift into making sure that it happened in a large scale event like New York? Yeah. So you can, uh, so there, there was a combination of people analysis and financial analysis. So we could determine, and, and we made this call starting in 16, 
that we still wanted our people to get together. And so we started a, a biannual team event, all staff event. Now we were less people in 2016, much less people. Um, even in this pictures on the screen here, there's, there's about 40 people there where we're now 52 people, right? So we, we've continued to grow, but we would get our staff together, uh, all staff, fly them in from USA and Mexico, into a destination originally just in Florida, but then we started spreading out and having events around the country. And we make those events 50-50, 50% work, 50% play. And so, because the, the play part of it, well, we're a team, which means you're leaning on each other. You're in battle. You gotta rely on your, your, your I'm trying to not go, I love war and war strategy. So a lot of the stuff that I, I give analogies to are, are, are based on that. But you've got to rely on the soldier to your left and the soldier to your right. And the fact is you protect your brothers and or sisters. And which means there needs to be a relationship. It's stronger if there's a relationship. Well, it is stronger to build relationships if you can actually be in the same time and space as each other and go through some work stuff together and go through some fun stuff together. And so we've done that. We've done that since 16. And so what you witnessed, Chris, and I did call you in, uh, I called you in the fall of 19 and I said, hey, I'm putting together a team event. I'm going to bring them to New York. Our team's going to hit up the Crestron facility. We're going to hit up the Savant facility. Uh, we're going to hit up the Sonos flagship store, which I think has since closed. It has. And, and I said, we're going to, that's the work part of it. And the, and the play part of it is going to be, you know, uh, fun. You see in the picture on the left, our team's all dressed from 20s type outfits as we were entering 2020. Uh, little did we know what also came with 2020 was a plague. But uh, we, were, we were dressed for the 20s. We had a great, uh, a fantastic uh, dinner at uh, a wonderful restaurant in New York. And at the Savant facility, you came in and gave them counsel from an integrator's perspective. And you led a number of sessions that helped them really understand how an integrator thinks the challenges and, and trials and tribulations an integrator goes through in trying to grow their business. Because I need my team to, to understand the customer if we're going to help the customer. And so we spend the time and money to do that. We do it in other ways now. We do it virtually. Uh, you know, I do these automation unplugged interviews because I want my team to hear the stories of our customers in our industry. Uh, we have manufacturers and different folks come and speak to our, our team, you know, all staff events where they're listening and they're able to pose questions because the more intimate we can understand the customer, the better we are prepared to understand where it hurts and to offer solutions that will help them grow. I not say it, but I can say it. I remember the caliber of questions that were asked of me during that session that I gave, um, and they were quite thoughtful and introspective. You could tell that they were coming not from a place of how do you game the system or you know sell somebody air quotes intended, but really how do you truly understand it? What do you face? It it felt truly empathetic. Um, and, and I really appreciated it. I mean, it's a testament to the way that you hire and the types of people that you empower within your organization. Um, if you didn't hire right, that would be impossible to do. People are everything. 
there's nothing that I do at One Firefly more important than helping with the the way that we hire, the interview processes, the coaching, and the cultivation of our people. We hire top talent. It doesn't mean the most expensive talent. It means within the band, and the bands are built around us maintaining consistent profitability as a company. Within the bands of our willingness to pay for job positions, we hire the best of the best. And those best of the best come in hungry for growth, hungry to do their job, hungry to help each other, hungry uh, to succeed. And when you bring in those type of people, and I know, you know, there's a, a book I'd love, I'm reading it right now. I'm actually book clubbing it with my leadership team called Multipliers. And the more we as leaders bring in amazing people and then empower them to do their thing, which means not micromanaging, but getting out of the way, which is really hard, by the way. So it takes consistent coaches. why we're roundtabling this as a leadership team, because we're realizing that we're full of flaws and we need to identify them so that we can be better. But the more you do that, an organization can exponentially produce more and achieve more than an organization that doesn't understand the power of, of the team. And I, I fully acknowledge that. We brought in a director or a manager of people operations, Tina, she chatted here, you know, to further um, invest in the management, the hiring, the recruiting, and the ongoing growth of our team. Because when they grow, everyone wins. Customer wins because we deliver a better product and service. The, the company wins because the company is able to succeed and grow. They win because they're able to grow their careers. It's this wonderful, positive feedback loop. You know, and when you do that, it's, uh, it's really awesome. Like employee retention isn't the issue. People want to be in an environment where they're taken care of and where they can succeed and grow. And you have, as a leader, you have to give them that because if you don't, they will leave, right? Because top talent wants that and they want to grow. And if you don't give them the environment for growth, they'll go try to find it somewhere else. The conversation around what happens when you hire poorly and the opportunity costs truly involved in that both at a team level and a personnel level, each individual, but then at a managerial level, the costs are extravagantly high for it to be done wrong. So there's a, a real impetus to do it well and to be thoughtful about it. Um, I wanna take a couple of questions here that had been posed from the, from the group. Uh, Allison, who's an employee One Firefly, um, what has been your all-time favorite memory of One Firefly? Oh my goodness, Allison, I'm going to get you later. Um, <laughs> that is, that's funny. All time favorite memory. Uh, I can. Is it you and your plant? Uh, me and, oh, that's right. I was going to bring my plant. Uh, I did have, I did have a picture of that. I, I had. Uh, Employee one right there. Th this is uh, th my plant right there. I was, I was joking with Chris that before we went live, I still have this plant. This is called a ponytail palm. I bought that at Ikea when I bought all my furniture in 2007. And I still have that plant. 
and uh, it's it's actually downstairs because I just picked it up from my office. It wasn't looking too good, so I'm nursing it back to health. Um, you know, I, it's whenever I get my whole team together. You know, you mentioned January. You know, I had my whole team together in New York, and that night where we were celebrating, and uh, you know, we had just come off a successful 2019, another year of growth. And uh, just the laughs and the the pure joy of people being with other people they enjoy in a work environment they enjoy, uh, that's that's definitely up there for me. Um, you know, anytime that I can celebrate the growth of my team, whether they achieve a new certification or they get a promotion, we're big on hiring from within, promoting from within. Whenever I get to move somebody from one, and I say me, it's not me, it's the company does it. There's a whole machine operating here that's not me directing it. When people move up in an organ in the organization and are able to take on more uh, responsibility, or maybe it's not responsibility, maybe they move in a direction that's more in alignment with what their superpower is, right? I mean, that's very fulfilling. When I see my team, uh, you know, buy their first house get their first car or their, you know, the first car they purchased on their own or, re, or start uh, uh, investing in their retirement for the first time. And no one had ever talked to them about investing and putting a money away for retirement. Watching babies be born was a it's, pretty interesting one. Watching people kind of take those big evolutionary steps in their lives. Yes. Pretty fascinating, right? It's empowering because you realize that you're going to serve a role. You have an opportunity to be memorable. Yeah. It's a fantastic responsibility. You, you know, you we're their facilitator in a way to being able to do most of those things. Um, you know, Becca Nunn also asked a question. Is there anything you wish you got to do more of in your day to day? I love guessing, my job. And I'm guessing she means work as opposed to, you know, more golf or something. Yeah. Um, no. So I, I really love my, you know, I, I, I hear about business and I don't want to mean this in a derogatory manner because I think different pe different things are right for different people. But I, I hear about people always, you know, in some occasions talking about needing to build their business so they can sell their business. And you know, I've been approached to sell this business probably every six months for the last five years. So I've been approached by somebody, hey, I want to buy one Firefly. And I, I love what I do. I love helping businesses. It really, I mean, I'm a, I'm a problem solver by birthright. I just can't help it. And maybe to a fault, some of the folks listening and watching probably know that. Like I try to solve problems that I'm not even being invited to help solve. The camera and culture, there must be a lot of nodding happening. There's a lot of nodding happening. And so I, I love solving problems. And so the idea that I get to help customers. I still get to interact with my clients every day. Not a day goes by that I'm not working with someone around the world on something. And I get to work with all the individuals and the leaders and, and not even leaders at, at every level. Everyone on my team has access to me for anything. They all know they can, there's a, you know, very flat, there's no particular hierarchy and, and hopefully there never will be. And so I get to work with a, a, an account manager on an editorial, you know, calendaring issue that maybe they're stuck on and they want my opinion. 
or I get to work with John and product development and you know some new cool stuff that we're cooking up that the world will know about 12 months from now. Or I get to work with Taylor on financial modeling and cash flow forecasting and trying to make our predictive models better 18 months out, you know, and, and, and. Or I get to network, you know, with Sony on a successful marketing program that would help move the needle for them and move the needle for the, their members. Uh, I'm doing what I love. And so I definitely believe in the concept of lifestyle by design. If you are bold enough and brave enough, and this is very hard to think critically about what you want, what you want your job to be, what you want your family life to be, what you want your friendships to be, what you want your economic situation to be. If you're bold enough and brave enough to do that, then you can set a course for it. And I feel that I've set a course for it. I mean, I, I, this is very much by design. I'm 20 years in, and I, I, I love coming to work every day. I love interacting with my team every day. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I love interacting with my customers every day. So I don't remember what the question was, but that's my answer. <laughs> no, no problem. Um... And by the way, if anybody else has any other questions that they'd like to pose to Ron, obviously we are actually asking them and answering them. So feel free to throw those up there. Um, so Ron, in terms of, of looking at kind of what's next for One Firefly, I mean, you came out with this really interesting website product in Mercury that launched, you know, are, are you in a position to be able to share either categorically or specifically some things that you would like to bring to the marketplace? Um, that, that get you excited, that make you think, you know, even more excited to wake up every day and go work with your team. Are yeah. you going to be able to talk about that? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, we're, I, and this was a decision and, and, and I've decided that I want to be a growth company. So not only do I want to help my customers grow, but I, I want to grow. And, and by the way, that's not right or wrong. It's not right for everybody. Some people can say, I, I've got this business. We're doing this much revenue. I'm perfectly fine staying there and maintaining that. And there is this is a zero judgment zone. But I, I've decided that I want to grow. So when you decide that you want to grow, then you have to do the things to help you grow. And, and most importantly, that means um, keeping our current customers very, very happy. And by the way, we are human and we fail. And when we fail, we work very di diligently to make it right. We've invested heavily in training and in staffing and in ratios, like our account manager to client ratios, to get it to a point where we can offer a very high touch level of interaction with our clients. So that in essence, the metaphors were holding them by the hand with marketing and helping them understand what's possible what we're doing and what the stuff we're doing is, is achieving or what it's not achieving, right? Just open, honest communication. And so that is, we want to get better at that. And we know that there's room for us to grow and improve there. And so that's currently an internal focus. Additionally, Google advertising, we're like the anti-marketing company in that almost every marketing company on the planet like starts with Google ads and then they add the other stuff. Like we're the last ones to the Google ads party. And so we figured out how to be a content agency. We figured out how to provide marketing to small businesses called integrators. 
right? Even most of the other marketing firms in our space, I mean, they serve the manufacturers, not the integrators. I don't, it's not that I don't want to serve the manufacturer. Of course I do. But I love serving the small, the small business operator. Small business is hard. And I like, thinking of that, you know, team we build and how to help make them a little bit stronger. And so in making them stronger, we knew, we realized this is a couple of years now, 24, 20, you know, 24 months plus back that we realized there was a hole in our product mix, which was Google ads. And there was some R and D testing we did around why, uh, if we did it, if we implemented it, how would it help or benefit the overall marketing strategy for these businesses that rely heavily on referrals, right? And we know that going in. So what role does a Google ad have? And we tested and measured enough to where we felt it had a valid role. We launched it last March, 2020. And we've been on a steady incline of adding new customers every month since then. We're exactly on quota, exactly on target for that growth. And we're gonna continue on that trajectory. And that's significant because that's that's often, and at least so far, that's us simply adding that type of service to our existing customer. Would you like fries with that? Yeah. Exactly, because we're not even having to go out and find strangers. We just get to go to the customers we know and love today and say there's this, this capability we now have, which we feel very confident, we can practice it well, and it can benefit you. And uh, would you like to learn more? And we're, we're growing nicely in that fashion. And then there will be a point where further we'll actually tell the world, hey, we're open for business and we can do these things that, quote, every other marketing agency does. We think we do it better. We have some special sauce. But that's a big deal for us. That's going to continue to be a bigger and bigger uh, component of our revenue. And then lastly, it would be a growth in the commercial space. Uh, you know, we have, I was born in the residential integration side of the business and I was birthed at Lutron on the RIS division, residential integrated systems division. I went to Cedia in 2000 and up until this virtual one had been to everyone since. And uh, we as an entity, as an agency have never been at the PSNI event or the Infocom Evixa event or at the NSCA event. And in the future, we're going to be at those events. We're going to position one Firefly to be what the residential marketplace knows us as, as a marketing solutions provider. We are going to uh, do our homework and cut our teeth so that we can be of service to that space. And we know that many in that space are hurting because COVID has been particularly hard on the commercial environment, certainly in different verticals. And we feel confident that what we can bring to bear will help them. They don't know about us yet. Yeah. And so we're going to do our homework to try to help them know about us. We're going to do teaching and webinars and as much educational offerings to them as we can, as they'll have us. And, uh, and I'm confident we can help. And when you add those things together, I'm very confident about our future. I mean, it's blue ocean. There's really no limits to our ability to continue to grow, scale add innovative solutions to help our customers grow. It, it's a really fantastic testament to the platform that you've built and its ability to be scaled. Um, I think it's really fantastic. Well, we're getting up at the end of about 75 minutes here. So 
but lest we make people run too long here. And I think that's was pretty smooth sailing for most of that conversation. Why don't we have you tell everybody, Ron, where they can find you, contact info, website, socials, you know, your street address so they can come visit you. Ah, ah that's funny. Uh, you know what? I am, I'm active personally on Instagram. So if you want to see kind of the behind the scenes, my Instagram is, it's open. You can follow me there. Uh, it is, uh, it's really all family life. It's personal, it's no business. Uh, I'm also the same way on Facebook. I'm uh, no business. So I, I believe in the separation of church and state. So when you follow me on a social platform, it is not my soapbox for one firefly. It's me. And uh, so I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on um, uh, Instagram. I'm on Facebook. LinkedIn, you are going to see some work stuff, obviously, because I'm a CEO of a, a company in this space. And then on Twitter, although I'm not very, I'm not an active tweeter. I'm not very good at tweeting. I'm not very good at, at saying whatever random thought is on my top of my head. I'm not, I don't believe that any of you care. So <laughs> I don't bother doing that. I, I, I generally use Twitter, like I had mentioned at the beginning, you know, to follow kind of some different hobbies such as crypto. Um, what's the website? Yeah, sure. Let me, and I'll even put some art work here uh, for you. Let me do this. So uh, if anyone wants to visit One Firefly, you can go to onefirefly.com. We'd love to have you uh, poke around and reach out. You'll notice a live chat on that website. You can answer any questions that you might have. And uh, here's a phone number as well as the, the phone number to One Firefly uh, is 954-921-2393. And definitely give us a call. Uh, I'm going to say bear with us. Our phone system, we're having a few issues. Our office manager is out actually with a, a COVID-related um, you know, stuff. And so we're, we're kind of playing with our phone system to make sure all phone calls get immediately answered by a member of our team. Not big on robots or machines answering. So we try to have people answer, but uh, due to some of the stresses of COVID, that is not always happening and, and we're working on that. I'm sure everyone's understanding of the circumstances. Uh, it's definitely not news to anybody in that way. Well, I wanted to say thank you so much for joining the show today, Ron, your own show. So I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to be thanking you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, no, well, I, it's been a pleasure. Chris, you rocked it. I'm going to bug out here, but uh, I think you killed it and I'll let you sign off. Thank you so much, Ron. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.